This is the Beat Generation, a look at music throughout the years that changed our world, from the original beat poets of the 50s through to the musicians of the 60s until today. They've become known for their influence on music that has shaped the soundtrack of our lives, simply known as the Beat Generation. Welcome to Season 2 of The Beat Generation, produced in association with Bad Boys Productions, Townsville's Triple TFM and the Community Broadcast Association of Australia. The show got its name from the 50s and 60s writers that inspired so many musicians and each week we will take a look into music and artists throughout the years that have changed the face of the musical landscape. A full song listing can be found at our Facebook page, forward slash music that changed the world, and make sure you check out our Instagram page, The Beat Generation Podcast. A podcast of this show and past episodes can be found on Apple and Spotify, along with some of our other shows, including The Bad Boys and Secret Men's Business. Check out our shows, and if you like what you hear, then make sure you leave a review. So sit back, put your headphones on, crank up the dial, and journey with us this week with the first part of a special interview with international songwriter, producer and founder of the iconic 80s band Goanna. I'm of course talking about Shane Howard. I'm Shane Bryan and this is The Beat Generation. Well in last week's episode we took a look at Buzz Bidstrup, famous for working with the Angels, Mondo Rock and Ganga Jang, but it was his musical connection with the Indigenous community that left a lasting impression on the music industry, now working as CEO of the organisation Uncle Jimmy's Thumbs Up, which helps the Indigenous community. If you haven't checked out that episode, make sure you do. It was a cracker. Well, this week we chat with a man who was the first artist to feature a didgeridoo in a commercial song. That song, of course, was Solid Rock, and it denounced the injustice that Aboriginal Australia has endured for over 200 years. His music and his message has remained a legacy in Australian music, encouraging other bands and artists to start writing about social and environmental injustice. I'm, of course, talking about Shane Howard, and it is an absolute pleasure to have Shane with us today to take a look at the Goanna years. But before we bring him on, however, let's kick off the show with a track from Oceana, the second single that was released from that album in May 1985. The whole album has since been remastered in 2020. The song is Dangerous Dancing, and you're listening to The Beat Generation. 
Well, that was Dangerous Dancing from Oceana. It is an honour to have the Goanna frontman with us today, Shane Howard. Welcome to the Beat Generation. Hi, Shane. How are you? Good to be here. I have to say right from the outset of this show, your music has been an absolute staple in my life and the lives of those that I grew up with. I remember growing up in the 80s to solid rock, as probably did everyone in Australia in the 80s. It had such a massive impact, right? Well, um, yeah, it's funny uh, to think of, you know, something at the time was just the next song that you wrote. I mean, I, I, I did feel it had an interesting gestation and it was an interesting, a really interesting time and I felt it was significant and important, but it's amazing this far down the track uh, to think that that song is still resonating for people out there. So, Shane, you're from Warrnambool, the Great Ocean Road. You were performing in the 70s and early 80s right up and down the Great Ocean Road. You started out as the ectoplasmic manifestation, but fortunately you changed the band name to the Goanna Band and eventually to just Goanna. At what point did you realise that you had something, especially with Solid Rock? Uh, well, look, we the band came together you know, as all bands do in a fairly organic kind of way. And it was a four-piece band originally in Geelong. And, um, you know, everyone has big aspirations and big dreams. And that four-piece band went for a few years and then it fell over. And a guy called Ian Lovell, who used to manage the Eureka Hotel, which is a really big, fantastic music venue in Geelong. It ran five or six nights a week and everyone you know, played their Midnight Oil and as young starting out bands and Cold Chisel and Australian Crawl. And um, and so Ian was fairly experienced with the industry and he agreed to help me. Um, and so we basically put a new band together and uh, set off into the, um, into the wilds and Ian had contacts into Melbourne. So we slowly started to make inroads. But um, it was then... You know, we did some demos. We did a lot of touring. and We slowly got to a point where I, I'd written Solid Rock after a journey to Uluru. And I remember not long after that, we toured. We got a big break. We got a, to tour with James Taylor on his first tour of Australia. And uh, it, was a, it was a fantastic break because we were an unsigned act. Um, things that wouldn't happen these days. But Ian... Uh, begged the promoter in a very um, passionate kind of way. And he agreed. He said, if you're that keen. And um, so it was an amazing thing to do to meet all, meet all those players like Russ Kunkel and Leland Sklar and who played on so many great records and to meet James Taylor himself. And we're yeah, touring, you know, Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. And then uh, the last show we did was in Adelaide and we, we just solid rock hadn't long been introduced into the band and we had a fella uh, uh a murray fella from queensland aboriginal guy called billy cummins who came on that tour with us uh, who we met in geelong and he played did or yadaki and um we opened we finished our set in adelaide in the festival theater which was a a recent a new theater then um with solid rock and at the end of the song, we got a standing ovation, and which is really unusual for a support act. And I guess it was really there in that moment that I felt there was something really connecting with the Australian audience um, with that song. And 
it really felt like um, our generation was ready for change too. Well, let's take a listen to Stand Your Ground from Spirit of Place, which actually features Joe Camilleri on saxophone. When we come back, we'll continue with our discussion with Shane Howard and a look at the Goanna Days. 1982.
Welcome back to the Beat Generation and our special guest, Shane Howard. Now, Shane, you mentioned that you went to Uluru and it's been said and documented that when you went to Uluru, you had a spiritual awakening to the injustices that had been happening with the Indigenous population. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, without putting too too mystic a point on it, but um, it was kind of pragmatic too. I mean, it's very real at Uluru. Back in those days, there was no, there were no resorts. It was pretty basic. And um, where the Murujulu community is now was the old camping ground and, you know, I, I camped there, I had a tent, I, I, I went by train as far as Alice Springs on the old Gan and then got a bus out to uh, Uluru when it was called Ayers Rock in those days and um, I set up my camp and it was so, it was something of a pilgrimage for me. I, I'd been pretty crook, I'd been run down and um, had a, took a break really to um, – and. Um, I remember the first night there I, I'd set up my tent and I'd cooked up a little feed and chased the dingoes away and just that powerful feeling of – that powerful presence of Uluru, it's an imposing presence um, and we're all – I think we're all drawn to it, you know, nationally and internationally. Uh, it, it, it's such an icon and – but in that moment, I, I remember writing, you know, out here, nothing changes, not in a hurry anyway. So I understand that you were invited by the Indigenous community to attend a corroboree. T- tell us a little bit about that experience, because I believe it was also very significant. And it was a very powerful piece of choreography. You know, you really have to know your country. For me, it was, I'd gone looking for, to see if culture was still alive out there, I guess, um, because all I'd seen growing up in southwest Victoria, which had a large Aboriginal population, um, was the wreckage and the chaos that had been caused by the colonial imposition. And um, people had lost their language, they'd lost their songs and their dances, and it'd been such uh, it was such a sadness. I felt that growing up here in southwest Victoria. But what I found at Uluru was something very powerful and very alive and, um, uh, like I say, I I woke up. I woke up in the Jukapa or I woke up in the dreaming um, and I realised very powerfully that I was in someone else's country and this was uh, – this was – uh, it, it started me on a journey that is that continues really all these years later, an ever deepening journey into you know the uh, first peoples of this country who hold this very deep and rich history and story and understanding of this landscape that's tens of thousands of years old, you know, thousands of generations. Yes, yeah, and I and I guess in addition to that, their relationship with the land in Australia was hard. And, I mean, you've documented in songs like Razor's Edge, yeah. Australia is such a tough country, it's a harsh land. But they seem to have, like, this symbiotic relationship with it, right? Well, yeah, and there's this incredible strength and toughness, you know, to Aboriginal people who 
have to live. I mean, particularly desert people because it's a harsh life, you know. Water is scarce, uh, food is scarce. You know, you have to really know your country and you have to know the song lines to live a traditional life in that country. Um, but for all that strength and toughness, there's also this very beautiful sense of uh, the spiritual and I guess in a way where the art and the music and the song and the story, everything comes together so that the spiritual and the aesthetic and the practical are all interwoven together and people sit down, you know, grown men who can go out and spear and hunt, you know, kangaroos and live very hard, tough lives can also sit down and do very delicate painting and sing with great feeling and, um, you know, and in that sense, I think you can measure um, for us as white fellas our cultural loss and our, our disconnection. Yeah, I, I remember meeting Uncle Bob Randall, who you probably knew really well. Mm. He called it Kanyini or the land owns us. Yeah, and I think what you're saying is exactly that. We don't come onto this land, and that's what the indigenous population has grown to understand. We don't come onto this land to own it. Mm. The land owns us and it lets us onto the land. Yeah, there's a deep sense of um, custodianship, which is completely at odds with our you know, European sense of um, ownership of land, which is, you know, a relatively recent concept. You know, before that it was all common land, it was commonwealth. And I love that idea that uh, Diana James, who spent a long, a long time out in that Binjara country, APY country, she talks about how Aboriginal people who are really in touch with their stories, their song, their history, their tradition, when they walk into country, the country is singing to them. And, um, and if you know the stories and the songs, you've just got to have your antenna up to listen to what the country is actually telling you. Well, let's listen to Living on the Razor's Edge. This is the version originally recorded by the then-named The Goanna Band back in 1979. The song was written by Shane when he was hitchhiking up the East Coast in 1975. Years later, Ian Morrison added Lulu's verse, although this version originally had her on the run. Now, if you're lucky enough to have a copy of Living on the Razor's Edge EP, hold on to it. There aren't many of them around. A very different sounding version than the one that was originally released as a single. Living on the Razor's Edge, you're listening to The Beat Generation with our special guest, Shane Howard. 
Well, that was the Goanna Band from 1979 with Living on the Razor's Edge. We'll be back shortly as we continue our special chat with Goanna's frontman, Shane Howard. This is The Beat Generation. Hi, this is Shane. And Andrew from The Bad Boys. If you're after quality, hard-hitting journalism that matches four corners... News that'll keep the government and the people accountable for their actions... And current affairs that's more reliable than, well, a current affair... Then then that's that's not us. us. Bad Boys Unleashed, music, entertainment, celebrity interviews... And the only original Bad Boys news that makes 60 Minutes sound like the Muppets. Join me, him and bad girl Angie for the conversation that no one wants to have... But everybody wants to hear. Bad Boys Unleashed, subscribe for free on Apple and Spotify. This is the Beat Generation, a look at music throughout the years that changed our world from the original beat poets of the 50s through to the musicians of the 60s until today. They've become known for their influence on music that has shaped the soundtrack of our lives, simply known as the Beat Generation. Welcome back to The Beat Generation, produced in association with Bad Boys Productions, Townsville's Triple TFM and the Community Broadcast Association of Australia. I'm Shane Bryan and thanks for joining us for our chat with Goanna founder and frontman Shane Howard. Now make sure you check out our Facebook page, Music That Changed the World, and our Instagram page, The Beat Generation Podcast. Well, as we discovered in season one of The Beat Generation, Goanna has always been a champion for causes. Now, whether it was Indigenous injustices or the environment, during the 80s, you could guarantee that Goanna was right in there with something to say. A couple of months ago, the album Oceana was remastered and re-released and it saw a brief revival on the charts. A much overlooked album contains a lot of my favourites. I remember hunting the out-of-print album down in a rare album store in the 90s. The lyrics to the song Common Ground are just as relevant today as they were back then. If a mushroom cloud hangs over our head, we'll tuck our children into bed saying this is what we've all been waiting for. As we begin the second half of the show, let's take a moment to listen to Common Ground and its declaration that love can still be found because that is what planet Earth is built on. When we come back, Shane Howard from Goanna. 1984 Sound about 
common ground i'd love to welcome back shane howard from goanna to finish our chat about the iconic band next week's show we'll take a look at the solo career of shane howard so don't miss that one so shane with the messages of injustice in your music how did people respond to it and and in particular solid rock apart from the standing ovation of course i mean it's pretty confronting It, it basically says that we're wrong we're completely wrong and we have mm. been for hundreds of years. I mean, how did that go down? Well, I think there's a wide range of responses. I think there were, uh, for a lot of people, they just went solid rock and it was something you could, <laughs> a rock beat and you could dance <laughs> to it. 
But uh, look, every Aboriginal person, as soon as they heard that song, knew exactly what was going on. And um, and there were lots of white fellows at the time as well who were attuned to the need for change. Um, but it was lonely and um, it was a, a strange thing that it was so commercially successful. Um, and at the same time, while I was being fated by the commercial music industry, I'm also meeting Aboriginal people after every gig who are coming back to your hotel room or whatever and sitting up late talking into the night about hearing the stories of the massacres, the dispossessions, the the, the destruction. And, you know, I, I got to a point where I could no longer be proud of the country that I lived in. And I, I've written about this recently uh, that, you know, there's this the moment, there's kind of a time where you get to where you go, once you know, um, you can't unknow. You can turn away, <clears throat> and lots of people do. You can walk away from it and go, it's too hard, and it was hard. Um, uh, or you push on through. And for a lot of Aboriginal people who I met on that journey at that time, you know, a lot of the time I was one of the few white fellas that they could vent their anger at. Um, so, you know, they were hard things to hear and to listen to and take on board. And um, at, at times it would have been easier to walk away. But, um, um, but you know, it, it, it's a, it was a truth. Well, let's take a listen to the iconic song from Spirit of Place, Solid Rock. It's been redone by so many people throughout the years. You can't beat the original, though. It holds a special place in everyone's hearts. This is The Beat Generation and our special guest, Shane Howard from Goanna. 1982.
You know, I see bands like yourself and Midnight Oil that gave Aboriginal communities a voice to say that we are a real voice in the country that should be heard, and it gave rise to to Indigenous artists in Australia. Well, I think the commercial success of that song um, was very encouraging for a lot of Aboriginal artists because they simply didn't have the microphone at the time. And I remember when Warumpi Band came out a few years later with My Island Home, I thought... This was the moment when mainstream radio would respond to an Aboriginal act. Um, but it didn't happen at a commercial level. And that took a while. It probably took until Archie Roach and um, and then Yoffi Indy with Treaty before, you know, the mainstream sort of industry was penetrated by Aboriginal acts in their own right. And that's quite a few years later. It's not until the 1990. It... Um, I hope it was an encouragement, yeah. I think so. I think so. I was speaking with Bunna Laurie recently from Coloured Stone who toured with mm. Goanna and he even said that Solid Rock was a massive influence and encouragement to him and mm. all of his community. Yeah, well, Bunna was a great champion. You know, he's, he just keeps going. He's still going out there, you know, working, 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 playing all the time. And, I mean, that Coonabar Rock, that very early album they did, you know, was a great, great record. Um, Island of Greed, they were great albums. And Bunner was out there touring that country. I joined up with him and, and No Fixed Address were, you know, I often refer to Coloured Stone and No Fixed Address as the tip of the spear in terms of Aboriginal contemporary music. They really, they blazed a trail and cut a track. I remember uh, GR, who was the, the lead singer for Warumpi Band, um, he said to me that it was seeing no fixed address and seeing Bart Willoughby that fired him to want to be in a band and and form a you know a form a rumpy band and and uh, do a similar thing, which he certainly did. As we start to wrap up our look at the Goanna years, let's take a listen to Borderline from Spirit of Place, and when we come back, we'll finish the show with a chat about the other iconic song where they renamed the band to make a point. 
I'm Shane Bryan, chatting with Shane Howard on The Beat Generation. 1982. Hey, there's only what we 
Now, Shane, let's talk about your love of country and the love of environment and, of course, your other iconic song, Let the Franklin Flow, where you renamed the band Gordon Franklin and the Wilderness Ensemble. Yeah, I'm not quite sure why we did that. It was a sense of greater collective purpose, I suppose. Um, And, um, yeah, there was great support from Bob Brown at the time and the Wilderness Society in Tasmania, Um, lots of... Yeah, great people. In fact, you know, I think we brought a whole chorus of wilderness supporters in to sing on the chorus in uh, when we worked on the recording. Um, I, look, I, I was a great lover of like Lawson, Henry Lawson's poetry, and my view of Australia was shaped by a lot of that great Australian poetry, and particularly Lawson. And then, you know, that got shifted once my understanding of Aboriginal Australia deepened and I went, oh, there's a whole a whole deep well of um, of cultural treasures here that go way, way deeper than my understanding had been previously. Um, and I, growing up here in southwest Victoria, uh, at the time around Geelong, you know, we fought, we worked, Goanna did a lot of benefit concerts to save the Otway forests in um, in southwest Victoria uh, that were being logged and, and destroyed at the time. So it was a natural extension then when the Franklin River campaign emerged and uh, I felt, you know, a very strong sort of sense that um, we had the ear of the public at the time because of the success of Solid Rock, and I, I, I thought that we could help keep the issue alive in the mainstream media um, with a song. So um, I, I, I met Bob Brown, and Bob said to me, um, "Well, go down and see for yourself." And so I, I did. I went down to um, to base camp at Strawn, and then went up the river and. Um, and to Warner's Landing and saw the destruction for myself. And um, and that song, and then the week after that, I had a week to write that song, and a week after that we did the Stop the Drop concert with Midnight Oil and Red Gum at um, the My Music Bowl and uh, sang that song there. And um, really that, and that was what we released. We took it back to the studio later that night and the whole Wilderness Society mob <laughs> came back as well as a cast of hundreds in the studio. So it was a great vibe. It was a great atmosphere. And um, and I think that song, it did its job. It, it really gave a rallying point for the campaign at a time where it was starting to fade from the front pages of the newspapers. It was an important part of history, uh, you know, and, and actually you've answered one of the questions that I've always had about the song. Every version I've ever heard was always live. I mean, how did that come about? Okay, yeah, that's true, actually. There was another version that we released. Um, yeah, that's true. I hadn't noticed that, so good observation. Sure. 
Well, thank you, Shane, for our chat today. It's been fantastic. Thanks, Shane. Thanks for taking the time and the great questions. Next week, we're going to take a further look at the career of Shane Howard, life after Goanna. If you are a fan of Goanna, next week we'll give you more of an inside look into the man behind the iconic band. So to take us out this week, let the Franklin flow by Goanna, or should I say Gordon Franklin and the Wilderness Ensemble. I'm Shane Bryan, and this has been The Beat Generation. 1983. This has got a fairly easy chorus. If you catch on, just sing along. Just to 